You're listening to The 66 Podcast, where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time. I'm Andrew Kingsley, as always, with Drew Kaiser. And today we're starting a new letter, a new New Testament book, uh, a new new, how about that? Yeah. Uh, this is a New Testament book. We just finished 1 Timothy in our last episode, so today we're getting into the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy. And before we get into the text of chapter 1, which is what we're going to be covering today, we want to give you just a little bit of background, which consequently we will wind up getting deeper into as we read the chapter. Uh, but just by way of introduction here, the setting that we're going into, this is probably, this is either one or three years after First Timothy was written. It could be, that's about as close as we can get it. Um, this is mo- most likely written in the last year of Paul's life, either right. in A.D. 66 or in A.D. 67. So we're very likely within the final 12 months of Paul's life here. And, you know, a lot of times people will refer to this as Paul's farewell letter. Yeah. You know, the, the very last one. If you're looking at them chronologically, we're not doing them in the right order. If we were going to take uh, this little series on Timothy and Titus in order, we would go 1 Timothy, Titus, 2 Timothy. Right. right. Yeah. So this is Paul's, like you said, this is often referred to as his farewell address. Uh, Eusebius records that Paul dies in AD 67. So okay. this book has yeah. got to be written has to be before the end of Nero's reign, right? So right. that was like 68 because of the tradition that Paul was beheaded. Was he beheaded by Nero? Sure. Or under Nero's yeah. government? Whatever you, you say. You don't seem too sure about that. I mean, we're talking about I, yeah, I just know here. that it's under the persecution um, with Nero. Yeah. Um, so it has to get in there. He has method. to die before 68. Right. Yeah, for right. That reason. Yeah. Um, I'll just go ahead and touch on this real quick because we'll probably talk about this a little bit later. Um, but as we begin reading this, we need to know that Paul is in prison. Paul is once again imprisoned. Which imprisonment that is, yeah. we'll discuss later. But just know that he's in prison. And finally, he's writing this letter to Timothy, like you said, as a farewell address. The theme of the letter can be seen in chapter 4 in verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And it's further specified on how to do that in verse 2 of chapter 4. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So this is Paul's appeal to Timothy to make sure that he does his job, basically. Mm-hmm. Fulfill your work of ministry, be ready, um, and do the work of an evangelist. And it's against that backdrop that we'll get into chapter one. Before we do that, when you were reading through this again, at, this stood out to me, reading through Second Timothy, this go around. Have you noticed how much he emphasizes suffering as just part of the job of preaching? Yeah. yeah it's a right. little intimidating being a preacher reading that. But, I mean, the key verse you picked out, chapter 4, verse 5, endure suffering. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says that in uh, chapter 2 also, um, as a good soldier of Christ, share in suffering. And in our text today, it's about suffering. Yeah, Um, Paul mentioned several times that he is suffering. I'm seeing one here in 2, verse 9. 
Yeah, I didn't count how many times that comes up, but we might do that before next time. Yeah. Or probably one of these episodes is going to be named something that has to do with suffering. It's mm-hmm. just uh, really in here, and it's not just um, suffering as a consequent. Uh, I'm sorry, coincidence, but it's suffering as you know something that goes with the job of being a preacher. Uh, that shouldn't be all that surprising, considering that Paul is writing from prison expecting his death to come soon. Um, It's just a little sobering, you know, to read. Um, Now, chapter 1, really what seems to be the theme of chapter 1 to me is Paul himself. This is very revealing as compared to other books written by Paul. Uh, He's not a person that, you know, we have some things like the list of the things he's gone through in 2 Corinthians 11, um, you know, and... um, uh, what were you talking? Uh, Galatians chapter one. There's a lot about his conversion. Um, the actually the events that followed his conversion. Yeah. So he writes, you know, about himself from time to time. But but here he's really dwelling on who he is in terms of character. We don't get really a timeline or something that's big on events. It's very revealing though when it comes to what Paul is saying about his own soul. And yeah. so we're just calling this episode. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, because those are the first words of the letter in verse 1. Mm-hmm. And um, there are basically three parts to this. And the first part of chapter 1, where Paul is kind of revealing these things about his soul, the first part of this has to do with his relationship with Timothy. And uh, that begins with, with verse 2, where he calls him his beloved child. Yeah, And we know this wasn't a biological child of Paul's or even an adoptive child, but a spiritual child. Mm-hmm. You know, there's debate over whether or not Paul baptized Timothy. If you go to Acts 16, where we're first introduced to Timothy, to me, it seems like Timothy was already a member of the church whenever Paul met him. Yeah, and that certainly seems to be, um, I guess, there's more evidence to that in verse 5. I'm sure that you're just about right. to get to. Yeah, yeah. That that was another yeah. thing, you know. His mother and grandmother are given the mm-hmm. the credit for his faith, but maybe they didn't have the gospel yet. They had the faith of the scriptures, which yeah. he mentions in chapter three, verse fifteen. So they were ripe for conversion. Maybe Paul came in, converted the whole family. Um, we we don't know, but he was certainly Paul's child in the sense of a mentor relationship, if not right. also in the sense that Paul baptized him. And so these first few verses, Paul is revealing a lot about what he has shared with Timothy. There's a couple other verses I wanted to bring in to um, kind of help this out. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, he is uh, talking about Timothy, and there he says that he has nobody like Timothy who would be genuinely concerned for the welfare of the church at Philippi. That's pretty high praise coming mm-hmm. from Paul. Uh, so Timothy, he was very pleased with Timothy. Uh, Timothy learned everything he knew about preaching from Paul. And, um, you know, this mentor relationship is revealed in this first chapter like nowhere else. Yeah. And he talks in terms of the things that he and Timothy shared. I'm just going to go down that list. So first of all, um, they share prayers. So when Paul prays, he prays for Timothy, and I know that he says this at the beginning of a lot of his letters, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's to a church or to an individual. 
But verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So he shared his prayers with Timothy. In other words, he prayed for him. Yeah. Um, then there's this shared relationship that's more emotional than you might expect from a couple of men living in the first century in the Roman Empire. But in verse 4, he says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I, there are all kinds of uh, emotions wrapped up in that short little yeah. verse. Tears, joy, being right. filled with joy. Uh, Timothy was someone who's very special to Paul. Yeah, it kind of brings to mind that meeting that Paul has with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, where they all, you know, basically know it's the last time they'll see him, and they're all crying. And Yeah. I mean, this could be, I don't know, maybe Timothy was there, and this is referring to that, or maybe it's other well, time. Yeah, now that you mention it, those were the Ephesian elders, and the best guess we have is that Timothy is still with the church at Ephesus yeah. on the second letter, even though, like you said, they're years between 1st Timothy and 2nd Timothy. Yeah. Um, but either way... That's an interesting parallel I hadn't thought about. The emotion that you... I'm glad you mentioned that because I had made a note here of, you know, similar to what's there in Acts 20. Yeah, and you know, I'm also kinda. thinking back on Acts 20, probably should have turned over to it, but uh, doesn't he say that the whole three years he was at Ephesus, he shed tears night and day, wept night and day, Oh, let's check. I know no, it's check, 2037. Check I'm going to go check yeah. here. Be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night and day to admonish everyone with, with tears. tears. Yep. So you don't want to you know, take that too far, but uh, he does mention that while in Ephesus, where Timothy is now, he did a lot of weeping. Tears yeah. of joy, tears of pain, probably mixed together. Yeah. Uh, so that shared relationship, very emotional relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, thirdly, they had a shared faith, um, but Timothy's faith had been shared with others prior to Paul, which is what we were talking about a moment ago. Uh, Paul says in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. All right. Can we address the Unice Eunice debate here? Yeah. Do we need? You go so right I went back. I've already shown Andrew this. I've gone back to. I, I got an old King James Bible out, which has the diacritical markings in it, and it has Unice as a three-syllable word with the accent on the middle syllable, a long I and a long E. So it which is. doesn't amount to a hill of beans to people trying to figure this out. But I just, I know I sound very pretentious and nerdy when I say Unice, but that's the way I've always heard it said. And um, we just want to let people know we're not trying to be pretentious or incredibly nerdy. I mean, we're just. Well, and in doing that, we're being pretentious. Pretentious and incredibly nerdy, yeah. I, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody says Eunice. I'm sure that when they said it, it didn't sound like Unice. You know, yeah. when people who spoke Greek as their main language. Yeah, that's um, close enough. For what it's worth, and I think our King James readers will really appreciate this, that uh, the, the King James Bible says we should say Unice. All right? All right. Got that's it. it. But it's not about how to say her name. It's about the faith, the sincere faith. Notice how it's passed along. It dwelled first in your grandmother, then in your mother. Now it dwells in you. Mm -hmm. It's uh, the same faith that Paul shares with him. They all have the same faith. 
the same belief, the same uh, conviction about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, now um, Paul goes into a challenge. So in this mentoring relationship, what he's sharing is um, his experience of, you know, how challenging the work of God can be, but also how possible it is. Yeah. You know, you can do it. It's not going to be easy. And that's what we were talking about a minute ago with all the emphasis on suffering. Um, but in verses 6 and 7, he says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul is sharing this gift with him. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Yep. And this is where some readers will say, you know, Timothy had a little problem with fear or timidity. I think it's the way it's put in the New American Standard Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Paul is challenging him. And the best relationships will do that. You know, they will they will challenge one another. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're The people who are always telling you you are right, who are always saying... You know, that's okay. You couldn't help doing that. Mm-hmm. Those are not necessarily your best friends. Your best right. friend's going to tell you, you really messed up. Yeah. You know, I have a problem with you here. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, suck it up and do better. And Or God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Yeah. Uh, so Paul, Paul is kind of sharing this uh, ministry with Timothy and some of his experience. Yeah, I would like to point out just real quick, uh, you know, we're mentioning again here this gift of God that's given to Timothy, and we Mm -hmm. discussed that, you know, if some of our listeners were here for the first Timothy discussion. I'm thinking of someone that might just be coming in on 2 Timothy wanting to hear us talk about this gift. Um, We discussed, I think, at length uh, in chapter 1 and of chapter 4 when we did 1 Timothy. Yeah. Um, But again, just for summarization here as we read this is his gift probably of teaching and preaching you know yeah. his gift of ministry not necessarily some kind of but it came gift you know it may be two different gifts uh because here he says it came by the laying on of my hands paul yep. the apostle's hands and over in first timothy was it the one in verse yeah. four he said it the was elders laying, yeah laying yeah. on in the hands of the elders and so yeah, there may be a distinction between the laying on of the hands of the elders and the laying on of the hands of Paul. Oh, Paul yeah. imparting a spiritual miraculous gift, the elders imparting the office of evangelist to Timothy. Maybe. Yeah. Um, that's, that's why we do the podcast right there. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. A little light bulb come on and yeah. float over Andrew's we'll have to head come back there. to that, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're doing, I, why are we doing this? So we are in the first part of this doing all three parts today. Yeah. I don't know why. I think it's a short chapter and we just feel more relaxed. Yeah. And that's usually when we come up with a big whopper hour and a half episode. Yeah, you're right. Oh, great. Now everybody just turned us off. That nah, they, they never turned us on to begin with. Yeah. Uh, let's see, verse 8. Okay, let's get back to our little outline of the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Uh, In verse 8, we have this shared suffering. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And uh, then he starts talking about the God that they share. 
So the next one, the shared God. Um, God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages, ages began. And then finally, you have a shared hope in the gospel. Verse 10, which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Um, and Paul gets into that again and again in this letter that, you know, is it always has the shadow of Paul's death hanging over it. You know, especially in chapter 4 when he says, you know, henceforth, therefore, is laid up, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness as he yeah. looks, looks forward to his hope in the gospel. So, you know, going over that, I'm not sure if I needed to say shared this every time. Uh, they were sharing a relationship together. That, that didn't play out as well as I wanted it to, but it's definitely those verses, verses 2 through 10, are about the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Yeah. Um, and you can see how much uh, Paul is revealing about his own soul in that. And he, and he gets even more intimate as we move on. So let's go to verses 11 through 14, which tell us about Paul the teacher in Paul's own words. Uh, For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. I want to get into those three titles later. We'll save that for for later. But uh, okay. notice he, he gives himself those three titles. And I think from each of them, you can kind of get an idea what Paul sees his role as. Um, but he mentions that. And then um, we have maybe the most well-known verse of this chapter, verse 12, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Mm-hmm. So Paul, the teacher, sees that he's not making up his own teaching. He's not there on behalf of himself. He's there on behalf of God, giving the revelation that had been given to him through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and this is another thing I want to come back to in another section, because there's a note and a lot of any of our listeners that are reading this, uh, not listening as they ride down the road, might note the footnote about translation, and we want to get to that and address that for just a, a little bit in the next section. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, verse 13 is interesting, too. Uh, the pattern, follow the pattern of sound words, which you heard from me in the faith and love that are yeah. in Christ Jesus. Um, so we'll go back to that. And in, Reminds me of First Timothy again. There was a lot of things I found in prepping for this today that were, you know, like callbacks to the first letter. Yeah. You know, like kind of when you watch a movie, but it's a sequel, and there's like all these little things in it from the, you know, leading in from the last movie. Mm-hmm. And this one, I mean, I found several things in this first chapter that are kind of callbacks you know, the relationship, the dear son in the faith or dear child in the faith, the gift of God, and now this pattern of sound words, which was such a big yeah. theme in First Timothy. Right. Um, and this section on Paul the teacher ends with uh, verse 14. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Um, the only other remark I'll make about this is just notice how many times he talks about something that is already written or already revealed, that pattern has been passed around. He says this in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 also. But, you know, that that piece of revelation is passed around, and it's the same with everybody. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that later. 
Okay. Uh, having so much trouble not weighing <laughs> in fully on these things. Yeah. Um, the last part of chapter one is the third part of this character sketch that Paul makes of himself. Paul the prisoner. He says in verse 15, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Evidently, a lot of people are deserting Paul because he's a prisoner. And this time it's not as interesting or not as glorious as the first imprisonment. And so um, they know he's going to die, and they were using him all along and just cast him off when yeah. he was of no use to them anymore. He goes on to say um, that Anesiphorus, when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, talking about Judgment Day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Uh, I think it would be good for our readers to go to chapter 4, uh, verses 9 through 21, and read more about his circumstances in prison. Uh, he mentions a lot of other people. One of the things that he says is really sad is that Luke alone is with him. Um, he asks Timothy to find Mark, which is a really great thing we'll talk about when we get to chapter 4. Um, I'm puzzled by Luke alone is with me because then at the end of the letter, he sends greetings from others who seem to be with him. Mm -hmm. But maybe he's talking about his mission team, you know, what's left of the mission team. The bottom yeah. line is Paul has lived a full life. He says in another part of the letter that he's finished his course. There's like one last thing that he wants, and that is to see Timothy, which is a beautiful thing and uh, kind of ends this first part of the reading where we look at this character sketch Paul made of himself. see how good we do. Uh, but the first thing we want to talk about is this imprisonment that we mentioned. There's a little bit of debate over what imprisonment we're talking about. We want to give you a few hints as to what imprisonment this might be. So at the end of Acts, we see that Paul is in prison in Rome. Um, and what it looks like is this imprisonment is one even after that. And here's one. That imprisonment that we see at in Acts, at the end of Acts, is the imprisonment in which he writes the prison epistles, right? Yeah. Colossians. Right. Um, Go ahead. Philemon. Ephesians. Yeah, I was about to say <laughs> Ephesus. Ephesus. Ephesians and Philippians. Yeah, Ephesians and Philippians. Because Philippians is the one where he's like, for me to live, live as Christ, Christ yeah. and die as gain. And he yeah. has this confidence that he will survive that imprisonment apparently i haven't had enough coffee yet no you may I want can't to, pronounce may want to get you another cup ephesus the book of ephesus um yeah either way so that's the imprisonment that wrote these but here's something interesting um timothy or paul tells timothy 
to get Mark and come to him in chapter 4, verse 11 of this book. Now, when Paul goes into that imprisonment, Timothy and Mark are already with him. You can see that in Colossians 1.1, Colossians 4.10, and Philemon 24. Um, on top of that, you can read at the end of this letter, in chapter 4, and verse 13 through 20, what Paul has been doing recently. It says recently he was in Asia Minor, talks about leaving a cloak in Troas, I think. Um, and in verse 20, he mentions the fact that he was in Corinth, and then later um, he was in Miletus as well. So he's been in several different places leading up to his time of writing this letter. But in Acts 24, he had spent the two prior years to that imprisonment being imprisoned in Caesarea. Yeah, that's so right. Yeah. That, I mean, that's some pretty big evidence for this is a different imprisonment later on down the road just because of what he had been doing prior to it. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, that's well, good to, evidence. For me, but... you know, for those who need, like, the those kinds of facts, they're all there. But on top of that is the tone of this letter versus the tone of Philippians, the epistle of joy, or Ephesians, the you know epistle about the church, or Colossians, the epistle that exalts Jesus. Yeah. Philemon, you know, that little letter that he wrote that was very optimistic. I'm not saying that Paul is mopey in this letter, but he's very sober. You know, he's yeah. he's not talking about life after prison anymore. He's talking about wanting to see Timothy, but not in Ephesus, only if Timothy comes to see him. Yeah. To see Mark, only if Mark is able to make it there. And he's saying to Timothy, come before winter. If you read between the lines there, it sounds like he doesn't believe he's going to last the winter. Yeah. Um, he's probably in line for, like we mentioned earlier, he's in line for execution. Yeah. I mean, that's um, the best guess we have. There's nothing just explicit, but, I mean, this is this is definitely a different situation than what you read in Acts 28, where he's mm -hmm. under house arrest there. This is This sounds like a dungeon. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's very important because it informs our understanding of everything that's written in this letter. Understanding where's Paul where Paul is coming from. Uh the next thing we want to talk about really fast is we just want to mention this. In verse three, Paul has a statement that's very unique in the New Testament. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Can something be very unique, or is it just unique? Very unique. Yeah, I guess it's only. Um, I mean, I come on. That. What does it mean? I would say just unique. Yeah. So this is. We'll redact <laughs> that. This is simply <laughs> unique. It's not very unique. I'm trying to think of something that it would be unique. comparable to that. You unique up on it. Yeah. Right? Um, it is in intensely unique here, even unique among the things that are unique. Uh, because this word is only used twice in the entire New Testament, this word for ancestors. And the only other time it's used, we've already seen in 1 Timothy, and it's translated as parents there. The word means like, you know, forefathers. Uh, that's the idea. But it's interesting that Paul mentions, I thank God as my ancestors, or the God I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. This, so, you know, I'm, I'm reading that. That just, that was strange to me. I never noticed that before. 
Yeah. And he, uh, I'm wondering, is he saying my ancestors thanked God also, or is he saying my ancestors served God also? I don't guess we can really know for sure. I think it could be both, and without doing, you know, I didn't study to see grammatically which one that attaches to. Um, I mean, from looking at it in English right here, it looks like it could go either way. Uh, I think he's saying, you know, I'm serving the same God my forefathers, the Jews, served. Yeah. And there isn't a God of the Old Testament that's different from the God of the New Testament. Yeah. We we all serve the same God, and we're all a part of the same purpose. We're in just different phases of it. Yeah. It was a battle Paul was fighting his whole life. I mean, he he was under that misunderstanding that when he was persecuting Christians— I think he was doing that because he thought the Christians were preaching a different God than he did as a Jew. But the big revelation to him, and I don't think we've looked at it this way before, this little reference just opens up a whole new way of understanding. The big revelation for him when the scales literally fell from his eyes was the God of the Christians is the same God that I've been serving my whole life, but I did not realize Jesus was the Messiah yeah. the Jews were expecting. And so all of a sudden, it all dovetails together for him. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's excellent. That's that's what I got, too. It's, it's showing this is the same God of the Jews that is now, you know, the God of, of these Christians. Yeah. Um, really important practical message, because you do have that feeling out there in the world that... Uh, the God of the Old Testament was a mean, tyrannical, harsh God yeah. who was very full of wrath. And in the New Testament, you have the God of love. But there are a lot of messages of grace and love and mercy in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And a lot of messages of anger, wrath, and punishment of sin in the New Testament. Yeah. I, you know, if you read both covenants, they're the same God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a matter of which covenant which side of Jesus Christ we're on. Right, yeah, which side of history. Um, I think the next thing we wanted to get to, Drew, was um, the terms you had pointed out from verse 11. Yeah, so, you know, this is probably more interesting to us than than most of our listeners because uh, it has to do with our job description, kind of. Well, no, I don't don't want to say that. Paul's job description, which has some intersecting points, and, and in some ways it has nothing to do with us. But he calls himself three things, um, preacher, apostle, and teacher. And so I just wanted to look at those briefly, starting with the the term preacher, which is translated from the Greek kerux. And kerux literally means a herald or a public proclaimer. So when you ask what is a preacher, the first thing you get from that word is he's somebody who makes public proclamations. Um, And what's really interesting about this job of the Kerouks in Greek culture before the New Testament came along is that uh, if you wanted to be a Kerouks for your city or the Roman government or whatever, um, you had to submit to a voice test to see if you had a deep, resonant voice which would carry... A lot of distance. Oh, wow. I think I would be in real trouble with my little thin, reedy voice that I have. But uh, I think you'd I be okay, be Andrew. Well, no, I can talk loudly for maybe 
I don't know, five minutes and then it gives out. When I try to do the pew packers before church, <laughs> well, we then. recently, I mean, people that don't go to church here, it's not going to mean a thing to you, so I'm sorry. We usually do pew packers like in the front in the auditorium. We moved it to the training room because I just couldn't, I can't sustain being that loud for that yeah. long. Well, that's so I would have been out beyond the call of duty pew packers. Yeah, um, they weren't doing pew packers in the first century church. I don't think okay. so. You don't think so? I don't know. Um, but you do have a good voice. Don't don't sell well, yourself short, thanks, man. Um, so the but more important than the voice test was the. Um, uh, what am I trying to say here? It, it was the adherence to the, the message. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, being, and I have this from Plato here. He he speaks about the Kerugs. Now this is before Christ, so it's before the New Testament preacher came along. But this is the word that Paul uses of himself. So Plato says, if anyone, while acting as an ambassador or herald, that's the word Kerugs conveys false messages from his state to another state or fails to deliver the actual message he was sent to deliver or is proved to have brought back as an ambassador or herald either from a friendly or hostile nation their reply in a false form against all such there shall be laid an indictment for breaking the law by sinning against the sacred messages and injunctions of Hermes and Zeus which tell you know we're definitely not in a Christian society here and an assessment shall be made of the penalty they shall suffer or pay if convicted. So, two things that we get from that word is, instead of saying, you know, having a good voice, I would say in the days of the PA system, we could say, uh, yeah. you know, somebody who makes public proclamations. So, if you're in a one-on-one -on -one Bible study, you're not really doing the K-Rooks part of the job right there. It has yeah. to do with the pulpit stuff as we look at it. But the second yeah. part of that 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 you get from that word is the idea of being true to the message and stating it exactly as it has been given. Uh, so that's that's what a preacher does, according to that word Kerix, translated preacher, in verse 11. Apostle, you know, the word apostle literally means one sent. Uh, it has an official sense, uh, which Paul has used of himself several times. He's defending that in books like Second Corinthians, because um, yeah. he was a, a late bloomer among the apostles. Even some in people, Galatians, he has some of that, right? That's kind of yeah. why he gets into that history. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Because he had to show that he got the revelation straight from heaven. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you have Christ's 12 apostles. But the word apostle also means anyone sent out on behalf of Jesus Christ. So you have that. And then teacher... Is interesting um, from Didaskalos. Is that the yeah Didaskalos? So it has to do with instructing people, which is what we're trying to do with this podcast, for example. Yeah. Um, I guess in the application section we might get into preaching sometimes. Um, now you're going from preaching to meddling, you know. <laughs> but um, you know, most of the time we're instructing. You know, preaching is not necessarily breaking down the uh, Greek word or doing an exposition of the text. Yeah. That's kind of teaching. And and of course they relate to one another and they blend together. But if you if you put it this way, Paul says, um, I preach, meaning I proclaim. I I'm an apostle, meaning I go. Mm -hmm. Um I'm a teacher, meaning I instruct. 
So aside from the idea of the official capacity of apostle, you have there a really good summary of what a preacher ought to do. Yeah. Proclaim, go, and instruct. And he needs to do all three of those. That, you know, I've never heard that before. And that's, well, that's why I said it. Yeah, I think that's, that's really good, man. You should write a book. Nah. That's good stuff. So we have the I, distinction. I, I didn't come up with that. That was Paul. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you're right. Uh, the distinction, though, so we have preacher, that word K. Russo, right? Was that K. it? K. Rooks. Okay, yeah. K. Rooks. This is the one that's, we're talking about publicly speaking. And even early on, you had to have a, you had to be loud enough to do it. The apostle has to do the evangelism, you know, speaking in the general sense of the term apostle. Yeah. And then teacher has to do with kind of getting down to some of the nitty gritty and being able to explain, you know, what you got up and preached to everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's great. Uh, lots of stuff definitely we can all take for apply from there. Right. Do you want to get into the deposit next? Uh, sure, yeah. I don't feel like this is as cool as the last one, but yeah, we can get into this. Uh, I think it's pretty interesting. Uh, so verse 12, you might notice, and if you're reading from the NIV or the New King James or the New American Standard Bible, uh, it Paul mentions the the deposit that was entrusted to God. Uh, he mentions the deposit, the deposit is trusted to God. But then here, as we're reading in the ESV, Paul mentions the deposit that has been entrusted to Paul. And so the difference in translation comes from, you know, it's kind of hard to attach where that little pronoun goes in the original. Um, different people translate it different ways. Uh, Drew, this morning I went in your office and stole your Linsky commentary uh, Linsky's a guy that's really good on some technical stuff. Um, he is convinced that it should be as it appears here in the ESV. And here's the difference. I'm not sure the difference is super important, but here's the difference that you get. If this is the deposit that's entrusted to Paul, we're talking about what? We're talking about what we read in verse 11, right? He is appointed as a preacher, apostle, and teacher. So that's kind of what's been entrusted to Paul, right? Is this ability or this responsibility to spread the gospel. Or you could or say the even, message itself. Yeah, or the gospel itself. I mean yeah. that's kind of how I think of it. Yeah. So what is it what what could Paul have possibly entrusted to God? It would have been his soul. And the line of reasoning okay. on that is, like you said, farewell address. Paul's getting near the end of his life and he's saying, um, I'm not ashamed because I know whom I have believed I'm convinced that he's able to guard my soul until that day. That's the hymn we sing. Keep that which I've committed unto him yeah. against that day. Yeah. So so okay. it would be, but when we get down to the, uh, what has been entrusted to me, it would say, you know, what I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what I've entrusted to him instead of what he has entrusted to me. So you get the difference of, are we talking about, is Paul placing the emphasis on the gospel that he has been given? And I really think, based on the evidence here, that that's more likely, given what we just read in verse 11, and then also what we're going to read in verse 14. He says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, to Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So yeah, I mean, was... the, so the context, 
Um, I would say verse 13 also reflects on this. We, so literally what he says is my deposit. All he says yeah. is my deposit. Right. So it's like my yeah. deposit, what does he mean by that? Does he mean something that Paul had originally that he gave to God or something that Paul has because God gave it to him? So yeah. take verse 12 out. We don't know exactly what it means. What does the context say? Well, in verse 13, he's talking about the pattern of sound words, which I want to spend more time on that in the application. Mm -hmm. But the pattern of sound words. And then you've got the good deposit entrusted to Timothy in, in verse 14. And then in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, What you have heard from me uh, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's like four people involved there. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to others, the others to others. It's almost, right. and I don't think it's this official, but it's kind of like a passing of, you know, it's almost like Paul is saying, you know, he's getting close to the end of his life. God is going to guard what's been entrusted to me, which was the gospel. Mm -hmm. God is going to be able to keep the gospel safe until that day, no matter what, no matter if it's Paul or, you know, or after I die. It's bigger you know, than any one of us. Yeah, because yeah. I can imagine being a Christian at this time, and if Paul is going to be executed, I mean, that, I feel like that would have a big effect on every Christian at this time. You yeah. know, Paul, this guy that planted my church, and that planted every other church around here, is going to be executed. You know, are we going to be able to survive without Paul? Mm -hmm. Yes, because God is the one that entrusted. It's entrusted to Paul. It's entrusted to Timothy who in turn is going to entrust it to faithful men who can teach others also. Right. And maybe that's why the Holy Spirit's brought into this, because the Spirit, and, and this is Paul's doctrine, this is what he teaches in 1 Corinthians 2, for example, that the that he knows these things only because they were revealed to him through the Holy Spirit, who knows the depths of God. Yeah. So um, this is not sourced in Paul's imagination or in Timothy's imagination, and it doesn't die with this man or that man, it continues through the Spirit who dwells in us. Which, you Very know, well I get, we have to throw this disclaimer out there, which is conveyed to us or communicated to us through the Word of God. And so the Spirit is not you know, whispering into our ear miraculously. He has revealed these things to inspired men who wrote the Bible. And we look at the Bible and the indwelling spirit uh, keeps uh, almost at it. <laughs> so as we read the Bible, the spirit is revealed. We know what that deposit is, and we can pass it down in this form. Yeah, I think that um, is very, very well said. And well, like, it was up to a point, and then it yeah, fell apart. Even Yeah, even with the, the other, I think it was, it was great. Um, and you mentioned that. You know, this is not necessarily something where it's whispering into Timothy's ear and, you know, explaining everything to him miraculously. Because, you know, we mentioned this gift. Yeah, from, that's true. Yeah. You know, from 1 Corinthians 12, we see there's all different kinds of gifts. Some of those gifts include teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, some of those gifts Prophecy, include... Prophecy. Yeah. Some of the things that wisdom. we mentioned here. Yeah. And, you know, when we get... When we talk about uh, the Spirit from... You know, Jesus sending the helper and what it meant for those apostles on the day of Pentecost. And, you know, we say it's almost a miraculous revelation of knowledge. 
you know, I, I think there's evidence to where maybe Timothy's knowledge that he gets here and his ability to teach is not maybe the same kind of miraculous knowledge, like knowing something that he hasn't studied before. Because you look in all over the place in these epistles, 1 Timothy 5, 15 to 16, and then here in chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, he encourages Paul, or he encourages Timothy how many times to, in verse 15, do your, possess, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Uh, and Preach in chapter, the word. Yeah. Sounds like he's talking about the scriptures. And in chapter 1, verse 5, uh, or excuse me, 1 Timothy, I'm getting all these numbers mixed up, 1 Timothy 5, 15 and 16, um, well, it looks like I got that one. Yeah, I got my, my references Are you talking about 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16? The, the scriptures from your childhood and yeah, yeah, all scriptures it. given by inspiration of God. No, here we go. Four. It's chapter four. We got it. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given oh, to you by yeah. prophecy. Now in verse 15, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, mm -hmm. for by so doing, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. I don't think Paul would be telling, reminding Timothy, hey, watch out for these false doctrines. Here's the right doctrine. Make sure you avoid irreverent, silly myths and pointless babble. I don't think he'd be reminding Timothy to do those things if Timothy was being miraculously fed information. You know, because yeah. I don't think Timothy would need the extra encouragement from Paul because I feel like he would be yeah. getting that already. Well, there's there's also the idea, though, that the New Testament had not been completed in writing. The no. Old Testament was there in writing, but the, the new revelation through Christ was in the process of being written as Paul is penning 2 Timothy, for example. So Timothy may have needed that, but we certainly don't. And, and yeah. we're, we're out of time here. I want to say this, you know, if... The Spirit is mentioned here in terms of just telling everybody individually, internally, what the truth is. If that's the deposit, is a miraculous communication inside somebody's head. Yeah. And what is all this business in chapter 2, verse 2 about Paul passing it down to Timothy, Timothy entrusting it to faithful men, faithful men entrusting it to others also? What's yeah. all the passing down about? The Holy Spirit comes into this in the sense that it's the same message from person to person to person because it's sourced not right. in the man, but in God. And that's the ultimate source. Okay, so now we come back and do probably a lot of people's favorite part, uh, the application. And we don't have to think so hard, we just get to actually make it mean something in our lives. Uh, verse 5, I think for me in particular, stood out because of what it represents. This is where Paul mentions that Timothy's mother and grandmother have played a very important part in Timothy's faith. 
And whether or not, you know, we discussed earlier, whether or not they brought him to Christ or whether or not they just raised him to follow God and then Paul came in and they were ripe to believe the gospel. Either way, I think we can see the importance in the role of parents as the disciple makers in the home. And here, you know, we have Timothy's father is absent from this and we know from other places that his father is a is a Greek man and maybe maybe he believed maybe not but either way his mom and his grandmother were the most important uh, important enough to be mentioned by Paul here and I think that's a very important application for us now we have so many congregations have really great youth ministry programs in place and I think it can be you know, I think almost at times we can give off the wrong idea and say, you know, if you want your kids to grow spiritually, plug them into this youth group. And mm-hmm. your kids will be more spiritual if they get plugged into this youth group over that youth group. And, you know, while right. they're, um, I'm not trying to downplay any of the work that goes on in youth ministry, I myself serve as a youth minister. But at the same time, the, here's the best way I've heard it explained. The gospel is rehearsed at home, which means it is lived out, it is taught at home, and when you come together to worship, when you have all the activities, it is reinforced. So for any parent who is working to raise a child, I think we need to be very mindful of the fact that you know what we're doing at home, what we are teaching in the home, whether or not we are teaching in the home is going to be the primary factor in the spiritual growth of a child, not how good or how unqualified their youth minister is. Uh, The success, the spiritual success of the child is mostly above all else is mostly dependent upon the role of the parents in the home. And certainly that's not to say that, you know, if, if, if there's a child who doesn't have believing parents, that there are not people who can fill that void and step in and help out. But still, there's a position. I don't think, but I don't think they... They can't fill it in the they, way they should. They can't do as well. Right. Uh, you know, people certainly have overcome great odds. Yeah. But, you know, I don't feel like anybody can be a parent except for a parent. Yeah. You know, it's just, you can try to step in and do what you can as a as a grandparent or aunt or an uncle, you can take over the role of a parent. Um, just parents are more influential than they realize. And I yeah. saw a book years ago, like 20 years ago, uh, for, you know, shaping young minds. And it was, it had a subtitle like, Why Parents Matter Less and Peers Matter More. And I think that's just ignorant. I mean, it was almost like... Yeah. It had a lot of studies to show that kids do what their peers tell them to do and stuff like that. But who? It's, it's not who is actually influencing them that we're talking about. We're talking about who is responsible for them. And the way God set it up is that, you know, the parents are responsible. And uh, grandparents, too. I, I know I just said something, you know, that may make grandparents think I was, I'm against their having influence. I'm not. I mean, we have Lois here in the text. Yeah. Where, and and Timothy had a father who evidently wasn't a Christian and maybe wasn't a, you know, we're, we don't hear anything about whether he was a good person or a bad person. He just doesn't seem to be as involved as Timothy's mother. But as a parent, you have a lot of influence over your child. 
Yeah. And I heard a story one time about Charles Schultz, the guy who did the Peanuts comic strips, mm-hmm. um, that his mother died when he was very young. And one of the last things that she said to him is that if they get a dog, they should name him Snoopy. And that's interesting to me because he became famous for drawing pictures of a dog named Snoopy. Yeah. That little statement made by his mother uh, before she passed away made him who he was. You know? Yeah. And I, um, I think that illustrates it very well. And it helps us in, you know, the culture we're in now with all these different programs set up for kids. I think it's good to keep in mind, you know, as, as a parent, don't expect just to send your kid to the youth activities and to the youth Bible class and for them to come out of that spiritual. Yeah. You know? I mean, they're, they're, they need to use those as tools right. in their toolbox. You know, a parent is using your programs or the church's programs, uh, your your abilities as a youth minister or uh, the school where their kids are. They're using all of these, and they're making all those choices for the growth and development of the child. Right. Um, but the parent is ultimately responsible. The way that the way that I've heard it described again, that I think is best, is that in any sort of well, and this is what the church does anyway, right? Any sort of youth ministry is trying to equip the parents to do their job, not trying to do their job for them. It's trying to Hopefully, better equip yeah. them to do their job. That, that's the right. Yeah, and we can say a lot more on that. Let, yeah. We're running out of time. I, I want to throw out one other lesson here. We can put it this way, use it or lose it, because this is really interesting what Paul is telling Timothy in uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And we talked about maybe that's a spiritual gift because it was Paul's hands as opposed to what we saw in the first epistle where the elders had laid their hands on him like in an ordination ceremony or something. Um, This seems to be the imparting of a spiritual gift. And somebody would say, "A a miraculous gift? Why would Timothy have to try or to practice this? I mean, it's he has it or he doesn't have it. It seems like Paul is saying, if you don't keep using this, it's going to get out of practice. You won't be able to do it anymore. And uh, so he's telling him to fan it into flame, this gift. Use the gift that you have been given. It reminds me of uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 32, where Paul is talking about spiritual gifts in the church at Corinth. And he, he says, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. In other words, they can control their prophecy. They can control when they say it, mm-hmm. how much of it they say, how they say it. They can keep silent, speak in turn. The tongue speakers do not have to speak in tongues. If there's nobody there who knows the languages they are speaking, then they don't need to speak their tongues. So you have control over whether or not to use that spiritual gift. You know, Jesus told the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 and there are three servants there. One has, uh, he gave one five talents, gave another two talents, gave another one talent. And the one talent man took his talent and he hid it in the sand. In other words, he did not use what had, the gift that had been given to him. And when his master came back, he was very angry. In fact, he threw him out mm-hmm. into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he gave the gift that he had given the one talent man, he gave it to the man that had five talents and had made five talents more. Yeah. The message of that parable is very simple. And that is you have a gift from God. It's, you know, not miraculous, but you have gifts from God. 
you have opportunities from God, talents from God, and if you hide them or neglect them, they're they're going to fade away. They're going to atrophy. Yeah. Neglect is a very bad thing that we need to overcome. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of reasons why people neglect their gifts that we don't have time to get into. Right. But it's a very interesting message, I think, that we get from Second Timothy chapter 1. Look, uh, we want to wrap this up so that we can have some more to say next week when we get to chapter 2. So um, continue uh, following us. We are honored by anybody who tells us that they're listening in. And we love feedback. We love questions. If anybody has a question in upcoming, you know where we're going. We're going through the rest of Second Timothy mm-hmm. and into Titus. If you have anything you would like to hear us talk about, we'll certainly... Um, Look at that and see see if we can address those things. Check us out at the66.net and uh, be watching that podcast feed. We're going to keep doing this even if Andrew becomes a father between now yeah. and the next episode, which I, I hope that he does. We can do a... His wife is pregnant. Uh, I don't know how many people know what's going on. I'll um, record from the hospital room. That's dedication. That is yeah. dedication. Your wife will this really is, like that. This podcast is priority number one. Yeah, so next week it's going to be me by myself. (laughs) Uh, Let's hope not. All right, so we'll sign off for now, and I never know how to end these things. Um, Das Vidanya. Yeah, see you next time. See you next time.